Databricks to acquire Mosaic ML in $1.3 billion deal. BlackRock's Larry Fink says the term ESG is too politicized. Instability AI's third executive turnover in less than three months. I'm Jackson Fordyce, and this is Venture Daily. Databricks, a data storage and management company, has agreed to acquire Mosaic ML, a San Francisco-based generative AI startup in a deal valued at around $1.3 billion. Databricks describes the reason for the acquisition as combining its data management tech with Mosaic's language model platform to build low-cost language models. At the surface, these two products are complementary. So you've got Databricks that helps companies prepare and process their data for machine learning, uh, and they've got a set of tools to, to enable that. And then Mosaic ML enables you to train and deploy uh, you know, machine learning models on proprietary data. And so you bring those two together and you're really tackling all sides of the machine learning lifecycle. That was Chase Roberts. My name is Chase Roberts and I am a principal at Vertex Ventures. Mosaic ML is a two-year-old startup with around 60 employees, which has raised $64 million in funding to date. These figures are obviously not nothing, but in the venture world, they don't necessarily jump off the page. And yet, they just 6x their valuation when Databricks agreed to acquire them. $1.3 billion is a figure that jumps off the page. The phrase AI bubble has been floating around in venture and tech recently. Some believe that generative AI startups like Mosaic ML may be getting inflated valuations because VCs don't want to miss out on the future of AI tech. I don't necessarily think it, it, it signals that we're going to see a lot more like companies with high valuations get acquired for like big prices. Like I think this is a pretty great outcome for Mosaic ML. I'm sure that the multiple on revenue is pretty high, but I do think that we are going to see more M&A because, you know, you have a lot of startups that raise at really high valuations. And if there's no one beyond them willing to pay that price, you know, unless they can become default alive by being cash flow positive, like the only option for them is to sell their business or go out of business. And so I think it's actually more likely that we're going to see companies get acquired, you know, for, you know, undisclosed sums, which basically means like the price isn't, isn't exciting enough for you to hear about it. Chase doesn't share all the fears of an AI bubble. However, he does think that it's too early to tell if there is one. I asked him if he thinks AI startups are currently overpriced. Whew, uh, man, that's a tough question. So I think if sitting as a VC, valuations are, are bifurcated between two buckets. There are reasonable prices, which is basically every company. And then there are non-reasonable prices, which is AI. And so I do think that we are seeing a lot of like, you know, the higher valuations are, are without question happening among AI companies. Now, whether that's a bubble, I think remains to be seen. But Chase doesn't think that overpaying for an emerging sector is a new phenomenon. It's really more the norm. Where there are investors, you know, fixated on a specific market, you will see prices you know, tend to inflate a little bit, just like they did with, you know, Web3 and some of the trends that came before this. Chase, thanks for coming on the podcast. You got it. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink states that he no longer uses the term ESG because it has become too political, attracting the misuse of the term by both the left and the right. BlackRock is the world's largest asset manager. Fink's comments hold weight in the markets and have already generated some controversy. What is ESG? stands for environmental, social, and governance. And broadly, it's a way of thinking that motivates actors to invest in companies that are environmentally and socially conscious. ESG initiatives can cause great transformational change in the ways that we operate on a global scale. The interesting thing about ESG is that it's really relevant when you're talking about big transformational projects, big transformational changes to 
the way we do things. Think about climate change, for example, right? Like you're not going to solve climate change with uh, you know, 50 bucks here and 100 bucks there. You're talking about really big transformations to how we produce energy, how we move around our cities and our countries, um, how we grow our food. That was Karthik. Hey, my name is Karthik Balakrishnan. I am the co-founder and president of Actual. Unlike Larry Fink, Karthik doesn't think the term ESG itself is the problem. You know, a year from now, two years from now, um, whatever term that uh, comes to replace ESG is going to be politicized as well. Um, so the fundamental question really is, are you down for investing in this transformation or not? Larry Fink is right that the term ESG has become politicized, but Karthik thinks that any alternative word or concept for replacing ESG would also become politicized over time. And as soon as you start to think about transformation at that level, things are going to get politicized. Um, and it's going to be politicized whether you call it ESG. It can be politicized whether you call it decarbonization or net zero. It's going to be politicized no matter what name you give it. ESG principles in your bottom line may have not always seen eye to eye, or at least it may have seemed that way. But that may not be the case. The kind of things you do to generate return, the kind of things you do to make a more resilient business end up being the exact same things that would be aligned with ESG. For the companies that we work with, what we found is that they end up making ESG-aligned, sustainability-aligned decisions without really even necessarily caring about ESG or sustainability. It just turns out to be the thing that's better for their bottom line. Valid criticism of ESG is that it can seem more about hitting arbitrary metrics than actually taking measures to save our environment. I asked Karthik about the negatives of doing ESG to just check boxes. What, What becomes really interesting is that it's gone from a let's do this as a way to make sure the companies are operating in the right way into a check-the-box exercise. And I think that's where some of the backlash has come out of, where folks are treating ESG and the different ESG metrics as kind of fungible with each other, that you can swap one metric, such as you know carbon, for another metric, such as water or biodiversity, for another metric, such as human rights. And that, well, maybe we're, we're better on human rights, so we can be worse in the environment or vice versa. Um, and I think that is, has been a mistake. I think that ESG as a thing is great. I think ESG as a thing is really important for companies to understand. But simply focusing on the check the box, accounting, reporting, um, I think that's where a lot of the uh, pushback and you know, backlash is actually quite well deserved. Karthik, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was announced today that David Ha, Stability AI's head of research, has stepped down. He's the second executive at the startup to resign in recent weeks. Earlier in June, COO Ren Ito was the first top exec to leave the company. He was let go. Will more follow? And what to make of the Forbes piece from June 4th, claiming that founder Imad Mustak has a history of exaggeration. Forbes reports that the Stability AI founder has been twisting the truth about many of his accomplishments. Mustak claims he holds a master's degree from Oxford, is a trusted confidant of the UN, and that he's a key tech founder behind Stable Diffusion. Forbes says... All of this is false. Kenra Kai and Eden Martin of Forbes write, Mustak has a bachelor's degree, not a master's degree from Oxford. The UN hasn't worked with him for years. And while Stable Diffusion was the main reason for his own startup stability AI's ascent to prominence, its source code was written by a group of different researchers. A quote that stood out to me in the Forbes piece comes from an anonymous former stability employer. The anonymous employee says, what he, Mustak, is good at is taking other people's work and putting his name on it or doing stuff that you can't check if it's true. Another executive, Christian Cantrell, 
Stability's former VP of product stepped away from the startup only a couple months ago. That's three execs in less than three months. Now, I need to say this. The pattern of departures from execs with short tenures may not be some kind of indication of skeletons in Stability AI's closet or an implication on their company culture. It could just be an unfortunate coincidence of timing. But the announcement of David Haw's departure from the company, considered alongside Mustak's at-best questionable resume of truth-telling, has some asking about what's really going on behind the scenes at Stability AI. I encourage you to read the Forbes piece, as well as Mustak's response in his blog, where he denies much of what is claimed in the Forbes piece. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Venture Daily. Today's show is produced by Josiah Simons and Jackson Fordyce. Our theme song was created by Benjamin Cook. If you like today's show, please give us an honest review wherever you get your podcasts. I'll see y'all tomorrow morning.